ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, we are still, for the love of God, in the middle of Friday the 13th Part 5 on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton. I'm coming to you from some ramshackle shack in the middle of God knows where because we don't know where this movie takes place or as close to it as I can possibly get. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. So we're going to unpack all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 5 through all the slashes and hacks and decapitations and the hopes that these poor souls' deaths might be the beginning of the jokes that we make about them, and as always, the only person that I trust to ride on that lone motorcycle through the desolate pine barrens or wherever the fuck this movie takes place is the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Hi, Patrick. Hi, Gina. How are you doing today? I've got my angry eyes on. Oh, is there a particular reason for that? Oh, I've been I've been building up a good head of steam for this episode for weeks. I'm sharpening my my claws. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm doing that spitting into my hands and rubbing them together kind of thing. I'm, I'm oh, dead. the old pine tar treatment. Uh huh. Up to this point, I've just been sort of defeated, deflated, if you will, in trying to talk about part five. But but we're at the point now where I just I'm I'm out for blood. I'm out for some. New blood, you might say. <laughs> well, hold on to your horses because we are not going into this fight alone. But I introduce you to our guest. She is a writer and an actress of great note. You've seen her in commercials and on television programs. Hell, you've probably even seen her on the big screen. I just don't remember where. It is the one and the only Alex Alexander. Hey, How are you doing, Alex? I'm well. How are you? I'm so happy that you are here when i knew this episode was coming up there was only one person i was going to call i didn't care That's how hilarious. i got you on this podcast uh, i was going to get you here to talk about these two fucking nimrods <laughs> oh my gosh uh i'm not sure whether i should be flattered or you know hurt <laughs> i was gonna say insulted but hurt is more uh more accurate maybe insulted is the right phrase because when it comes to making fun of local yokels, I've seen you latch on to this particular overused archetype and just bite deep and whip it around in your mouth like a dog that won't let go of a shitty toy. Hilarious. Uh, well, you know, I, I lived with them. I lived amongst them, you see. So it's almost like, uh, you know, learning the language of apes when you live in the jungle. Uh, you... You learn to communicate, or at least you learn to know what they're trying to communicate. True. You learn not to look them in the eye. Ah. You, know? you don't want to invite an attack <laughs> if you can help it. I, I don't think we have to worry because uh, these two only have one plan, and that is attack. And so what we're talking about here today, kids, is Ethel and Junior Hubbard the two broadest stereotypes ever to grace the Friday the 13th franchise, and that's saying something. Now, before we get to them, though, we do have a bit of business to take care of. Now, Alex, I don't know this, so please, what what was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? Well, I will try to keep this brief, but I was... Uh... 
as you may or may not remember, um, I was brought up in a very right wing sort of Christian household. So we weren't allowed to watch scary movies, although we'd seen like, you know, the black and white ones, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the old uh, Dracula and werewolf and that sort of thing. So I didn't see Friday the 13th until it came on television. And I was at my parents' house for some reason. And I was, I had seen The Exorcist before this, which was scary in a very different way. Mm -hmm. But I saw this and it was the first time, well, first of all, I love all things scary now as a result of finally being able to, I don't know if it's the forbidden fruit, not being able to watch scary movies, but I love it. But it was the first time, Friday the 13th was the first time I went, oh, the boogeyman doesn't die at the end of the movie. (laughs) Uh Because, you know, The Exorcist, which was kind of the only other real one I'd seen, and all the black and white ones, you know, happy endings. You kill the monster and everybody walks away. Or not everybody. (laughs) Uh, But uh, so it was one of the first times... Uh, that ending traumatized me, where the decayed body comes up out of the ocean and she's in the canoe. Do you remember this? Sure, oh, of course. And no. drags her down, and I was like, "What just happened?" <laughs> um, that was my introduction to the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, and then after that, it became a thing with mm-hmm. you know Nightmare on Elm Street and all those kinds of things. It was like, oh, they just continue to find new ways of the boogeyman coming back, but. It was the first time for me experiencing that. That was my that was my memory of it, and I was like, "No way!" <laughs> As if I was being dragged into the pool with her or the lake. I think the forbidden fruit thing is not uh, particularly unique. It, it certainly <laughs> I, I was restricted from all of this. My entry point was Fangoria magazine and sort of reading about it in an intellectual way in right. Mad Magazine, seeing parodies of it. And then when I finally got to see it, I knew all the beats already because I'd seen so much of it before, but I'd never seen it in motion. Oh, Um, that's hilarious. You know, by hook or by crook, uh, it gets under your skin. And so speaking of getting under your skin, probably because you've been outside (laughs) rolling around in the dirt for far too long. Let's talk about- As all Southerners do. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we'll get to that. All right. Uh, let us talk about who is still left alive at this point. Tommy Jarvis 2.0, who, like the character in Jim Cotta, has combined two things to create a deadly weapon. Oh, shit. Sorry. That was very rude. <laughs> incredibly rude. Sorry. I'm popular. What can I say? I'm incredibly, incredibly popular. <laughs> okay. I might keep that. All right. Here we go. Uh, number one up to bat uh, for the still alive list is Tommy Jarvis 2.0, who, like the character in Jim Cotta, has combined two things to create a deadly weapon, plaintive stares off into the distance and constant sweating. And now we also have Dr. Matthew Letter, who's a professional psychologist and an amateur Tim Matheson impersonator. And we have Pam, who is his girl Friday the 13th. We've got Reggie the Reckless and his kind grandfather, George, and we don't make jokes about them because it's not funny that they're forced to be in this movie. We have Jake, <laughs> and he's a character whose hair looks like it's from Streets of Fire, but mm-hmm. whose face appears to have been beamed in from an industrial short focused on the benefits of aluminum. <laughs> and now we have Robin, and she is a girl. And then we have Violet who feels like what would have happened if Susie Sue were cast in Witness. And we have Duke, who would go on to father White House spokesfibber, Sean Spicer. And Roy, who's our accidental spree killer. And that leaves us with the two characters 
who we will be throwing under the harsh spotlight of Kill by Kill, that is Ethel and her son slash life mate, Junior. <laughs> Uh, yeah, junior, who is Junior, who is the other character who is heavily coded in this movie as challenged? Because what this movie needed is not one, but two mentally disabled adult men. Yeah, they need to make it more difficult. They need another uh, sort of broad stereotype to throw under the bus to, for us to laugh at at how stupid he is, instead of just having like a stupid guy. I'm irritated to no end that we are forced to watch what is one of the worst performances ever committed to film. And I am not <laughs> just limiting this to the Friday the 13th franchise. I mean this. <laughs> this is one of the shittiest things ever put onto cells and thrown up on a movie screen well, that we have to watch. Yeah. I felt like uh, all I could see when I, well, not all I could see, but one of the things I could see as I was watching it was what what was in the breakdown. As an exactly. Actor, it's like, what is required? You know, it's like, uh, Anita must be able to smoke a spliff. And Junior must be able to ride a motorcycle. And it was like the first guy that showed up who could ride a motorcycle with somebody on the back and do spins around a house. Like, oh, you're three callbacks. You're in. <laughs> and... <laughs> And, you know, I it was like this weird um, juxtaposition with like, oh, he's big and stupid and she's tiny and fiery. You know, it's like <laughs> not one of them doesn't accurately, you know, doesn't accurately represent <laughs> the entire southern, stupid southerner. So we got to cover it all. Well, that's the um, thing. I mean, it's disorienting because once again, it, it begs the question of where does this take place? <laughs> exactly because i am pretty sure it is actually supposed to be in the general area of the other movies because even though it doesn't look anything like any of the other movies and i'm counting friday the 13th part three in that which looks like it just happened on the other side of the valley here in los <laughs> angeles <laughs> because they 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 reference jason Voorhees. the the mayor had a very northern new jersey accent i mean he oh, sounds yeah. like, he, i know he, he sounds like he should have been played by paul sorvino <laughs> <laughs> he would have every, done wonderful things with this role if only he was given a chance and then you've got oh, paul every, sorvino or the guy that was oh, in paul it? sorvino uh, paul sorvino <laughs> would have run circles around this dumb skull i mean i'm sure he's fine he does great in the community theaters in which he performs but this is a tall task of which he is not quite reaching the level that is required yeah, and then you have everybody everybody else has sort of a generic they could be from anywhere accent and then you've got you've got ethel and junior who are straight up west virginia <laughs> I mean, they are one coal mine away from being in the southern version of My Bloody Valentine. It is insane that they are plopped into the middle of what we kind of assume is somewhere in Jersey, but we don't really know. I'm assuming they uh, inherited that land? I mean, how are they <laughs> landowners? I can only assume she's an herbalist. Because <laughs> every surface, every inch... Of that house is covered in little bunches of herbs. <laughs> and we know what kind of herbs those are, right? Oh, that, that is how she made her money. Uh, she she would be lady. better situated. Right. 
Except then, why didn't she? Then she would have been making more nice with the neighbors. I think. Yeah, exactly. she wouldn't be. She wouldn't be running off the 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 local fuck couple from her land. Exactly. <laughs> Although the fuck couple it does have the only joint that appears in the movie. And they must have gotten no that Anita. From Anita smokes a joint oh, too, that, right? But she's importing it because they're traveling through town. Oh, that's right. Uh, I see. What just you're like saying. the that enchilada didn't come from that town. <laughs> <laughs> or the but tacos. Let, <laughs> that that was that was smuggled across county lines. There's not a lot of enchilada production going on wherever the fuck this is. That I promise Contraband. you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That's true. Uh, they were the only couple that had so uh, well, maybe that's why she ran them off. Maybe they maybe they snaked some weed from her. All I know is I was like, I don't own land and I can put a sentence together. So <laughs> I mean, how do they all she does is feed that monstrous son of hers. Exactly. But he is feeding him fresh vegetables and fresh produce and chickens, which they grow. <laughs> so is the well water underneath them some sort of nuclear spill site? Right. What is causing his growth in that particular direction? His elephantitis. Uh, you know what else? I, listen, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but it's driving me crazy that she, um, like, she was breaking the vegetables with her fingers to she's, put yes. in the stew. She spit, in, she spit into the pot. There is yeah. a scene where she just, like, she's yelling at him, and while he's doing his little screaming and circling around the house, she just hocks a loogie right into the pot. Unbelievable. But here's <laughs> the other thing, and then. When, so, who goes face down into the pot? Her, right? She, she her, does, yes. Yeah. And all the vegetables are beautifully sliced. <laughs> Look like they've been julienned with a device of some sort. I was why, like, I'm confused. Why is there so much attention paid to these vegetables that we've seen her break apart exactly. with her bare hands? Like, like they she also- is a, a strong man at a carnival <laughs> ripping apart phone books. <laughs> And, then, and, then and they're throw, filthy. And then, she hasn't washed them or anything. The, pot, the, the pot's filthy too. And there's also there's a shot in the kitchen but right before Ethel is killed, and mm-hmm. I couldn't help noticing that in the foreground are these pickle jars with I I have no idea what's supposed to be in them. One Fetuses. Looks like, one looks like it has boiled eggs in it, but there's also something that looks like it has tentacles floating at the top. Sure. And, and the other jar just looks like it has straight up water and human waste in it. It's Cthulhu or some sort of elder god that they've mined out of that place and are selling to some sort of dark arts emporium. Why do they need all that shit plastered to every surface inside their own home? If they are growing pot, you keep that in a separate area to dry it or to grow it. I mean, I don't know that much about pot. I'm not... You know, I consume, I'm not on the production end of things, but I can tell you that you don't just staple it to the cabinet where you keep your plates. <laughs> well, I happen to be uh, growing some basil uh, in my kitchen, and I'll tell you, it takes a lot of very special lighting. I've heard uh, that, you know, what are they called? Hydroponic rooms or something like you can have a grow room in your closet or whatever, but it looked like they barely had electricity in that place. I was, I really felt like uh, you don't live that far from a house that has indoor plumbing and electricity and possibly even air conditioning. And yet you're living in what, I mean, looks like you, I live off the land. I've done built this shack with my own hands. And (laughs) 
look, you could just sell a little part of your land to be fine. Again, yes. I can't get off the land thing. I'm, not, well, I just, I, I, I I'm like, that, what's happening? I, I think that the condition of the, the house is just supposed to carefully telegraph to, to an, an audience of people that they assume are, have about an 85 IQ that these are, this is white trash. This is a, these are dirty people that have like a house that's all cluttered and, and filthy exactly. and, and, you know, and somehow for this, they, they, they deserve to die because this is Apparently. just, yeah, this, well, I mean, also they're awful people, but I mean, I, I think that if the screenwriters thought they could have gotten away with it, they just would have had it. Well, here's, here's the white trash people, just like in, just like in part three, except that these two make the couple from part three look like Nick and Nora Charles. They, they, <laughs> they, they really, really do. It's just, I, I again, I can't, I, I can't get off of the notion that Junior kind of comes off like, like a little bit like an evil George from A Mice and Men. No, yes. Lenny, Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Just this yes. big, dumb, violent oaf. And I, I don't know. Th- I mean, are we supposed to be laughing at these characters? I mean, I are think we? Are we supposed, the intention. Are, are mm-hmm. we supposed to cheer when this ch- mentally challenged gentleman and his abusive, very much so, mother are killed? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, they're saying so many things. Like, are they, are they, I mean, the, the film has said, is he, is he mentally challenged or does he represent just everyone this screenwriter's ever met who has an accent like that? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not saying anything about the challenged. I'm not there. Terrible. I'm just talking about all Southern men. And so that's A. B, I really felt like there was a hint that their relationship was inappropriate. And I was like, again, Southerners all sleep with the relatives, so there you go. So maybe that's why they're getting killed. Because you know, I remember, I remember when I watched Friday the Thirteenth, the first one, and the kids have sex in Kevin Bacon that gets like stabbed through the neck or whatever, mm-hmm. and it was like this very not subtle people who young people who have sex out of wedlock get killed. You know, I was again right right wing Christian thing. So I'm always looking when I watch these things and like, why? What exactly did that person do to deserve? to be killed well they were terrible people because they're southern and stupid <laughs> I feel like he was supposed to be like just a big dumb man child like i mean when he's like if you hear some of the stuff that he's saying when he's driving around the house screaming he's like they <laughs> hurt me they hurt they me, hurt me. we gotta go kill them all chop them up and it's like <laughs> how, you know how old how old is this gentleman supposed to be I mean, he's- when that was when that was happening, that's how I envision how Donald Trump acts after he watches Saturday Night Live, <laughs> just <laughs> reacting like a small child, just hating out like, "Fix it, fix it for me, fix it go- for me, Bannon." Just driving his golf cart in circles around Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> It's crazy. They are given one costume, and they're not the only ones, but they're given a costume to wear. And this movie takes place inexplicably over several days, unlike any other Friday the 13th film, where it works best if it all happens in one big rush. Otherwise, the authorities would be called. Right. The the authorities are constantly in this movie until it needs them to disappear. (laughs) Attending a police convention, you've been (laughs) 
Philadelphia. <laughs> well, well, here's the here's the thing with with Junior and and I keep forgetting her name is Ethel. Every time I I took notes, I wrote it down as Mama. Yeah, and and I had her. I was like, oh, she has a name. I keep forgetting, but I, I think it's only used once because yes. no one ever addresses her other than her son, except in one scene. No, it's like they're ghosts. Yeah, they <laughs> just they breeze in. They appear. Like what? What did they say? What did they mean? What do they want? They want you off their property. We we mentioned when we talked about Demon and Anita last week, um, mm-hmm. which is the flip side, as they are the only likable people in this in this movie. Yes, and yet, like Demon and Anita, Roy has really no reason or cause to kill either of these people. Yeah, to 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 my to my knowledge, he never encountered them. I mean, I guess no. I suppose I, I suppose if you're trying to still kid yourself into thinking the audience might think it's Tommy, then 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 yeah, all right, I guess it makes sense. But when you consider the 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 huge twist at the end, why would he have any cause to 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 kill either of them? I I don't have an answer, and I'm for I'm I literally just watched it and I don't remember. Do you remember the, there was the guy who came to the door and said I'm hungry, and she says go shovel the chicken shit out. That of was the coop that and, was the handyman who also the handyman. Raymond the sexy hobo, yes. <laughs> Who also who also served no purpose in in this plot? Right? Did he ever come show back up? He was killed. Oh, he gets stabbed. Yeah, he gets stabbed too. He's a he's a red. He's a basically a. a I must red have looked herring. away. Yeah, it's you, a blink yeah, and it, you missed it stabbing. It, it's easy. It happened right before when Tina and Eddie were killed. He's spying on them. You get a fake out in which you think, "Ooh, maybe it's Jason." And it's not. It's him perving on them, and he gets stabbed in the stomach. Because it, it, I thought, I remember when he showed up at the door. I thought he was going to be like, "Oh, they want this to be." We're supposed to think he kills Junior and Ethel, right? Or at least I thought, "Oh, that's where you're going to lead us to believe." Um, even though what's funny is at the reveal of who it was. I remembered the scene with him behind the cop. And I, I remember thinking, what's wrong with that guy? Why is he acting like that? Well, that's bad direction. Those oh, are, some are terrible you, are you, choices. Are you, are you talking about like when the, when you, are you talking to me? I, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking to me. Did yeah, mention, exactly. Did you mention a madman? Oh, that's me. I, I'm a madman over here. I showed up to work today, but last night I was murdering local greasers who may or may not be having sex with one another. I uh, was like, I knew I knew they were projecting something. I actually did not predict the ending, um, but I knew I was like, oh, you got to keep an eye on that guy. And then he kind of disappeared. And I was like, "Okay, then that was nothing. But see now a normal movie. Like uh-huh. this, that's trying to parrot back some of the elements of previous episodes, mm-hmm. would try to lay into this multiple red herrings. Could it be Tommy Jarvis who's reliving how he killed Jason Voorhees? Maybe he's caught this maniac killer curse. Is it Roy that the movie keeps pointing at constantly saying, this is the person who killed people, and then he disappears and you forget about him? <laughs> Is it Vic, the guy who kills another one of the halfway house people with a bunch of chocolate bars in his pocket, but he's hauled off by police. Did he escape? No one says so. Is it Jason Voorhees for no fucking reason, which the sheriff brings up akin to nothing and is told by the mayor, (laughs) fuck you, do something about this. The film also points at both Ethel and Junior, because Ethel is constantly seen 
either threatening violence or doing violence to fruit, vegetables, Mm -hmm. or poultry. (laughs) And then Junior confronts Tommy Jarvis and summarily gets his ass kicked. So these two people are set up in a normal screenplay to be red herrings. But they don't do anything akin to that because the direction and execution of this film is fucking middle grade bullshit. I know. I At some point I thought maybe it was, a, what was that movie where they had like the, the four different directors? One of them was Quentin Tarantino. And I don't oh, know. Four Rooms. Four mm-hmm. rooms. Yeah. I was like, is it is it that? Is it that they just have four different people directing and none of them are communicating with one another? Some days cocaine was present on the set and some days cocaine wasn't. And so you get a very <laughs> different director. I don't know. We um But then go- then I realized all the women well not all of them, but most of them showed their boobies, so it was probably the same guy. He's a former <laughs> uh porn director. Uh <laughs> And you can kind of see it because these sequences are just like like setup where someone is this broad stereotype and then someone wanders in and says, I have a delivery for you. It happens to be my penis. <laughs> only this time <laughs> the delivery is death. It's the only difference between the two mediums. Yes, it, it very much harkened back to the porn of the 70s where they tried to have a story. I hear. Um, <laughs> so I've been told. But uh, I do remember saying, well, good for you, Ethel. At least they didn't tear your shirt open before they <laughs> before they offed you. They just put you face down in a, in a stew. Because I, was, I remember, again, as an actress thinking, how much money... How much of a bump did they get for the for the needless... Especially the, the waitress girl. I was like, you just flash your boobs for no... Just... Why? I mean, you had to have gotten paid double scale for that, I'm guessing. I I assume everyone gets some sort of scale up for nudity unless they they have an agent who's dumb enough not to ask for it. But this brings us to yet another facet of this film, which I find fascinating. Gina was the first person to point it out. And that is, most of these characters spend the majority of their time talking out loud to themselves as if they are a batman villain just going through their plan inside of their lair (laughs) to three masked guys why are they constantly talking to themselves and if they're not they're yelling obscenities at one another those are the two (laughs) modes you get you flip the switch you go from villain monologue to fuck you and fuck your mother too like right and that's its idea of witty dialogue. You know, it's interesting because I had not noticed that. And I'm now that you're saying it, I'm like the Rolodex in my brain is going, oh, yeah, that happened. There. And then, oh, yeah. And then that time, you know, with her in the mirror in the beginning, mm-hmm. you look hot, girl. Oh, what? Um, and then even <laughs> Ethel yelling at Junior and then saying, oh, I'll do whatever it was. <laughs> I remember thinking, uh, I I think you misunderstood what these these devices are um, are. I think you I misunderstood the the uh, the definition of them and the use of them. Whether it's talking to yourself or flashing boobies or whatever. I was like, I think you didn't get the right uh, rule book about it because nothing seems to be, including you know the pair the the comic relief. I was like, I don't think you understood. 
what that is, how right. to use it. Right. I've been rewatching Ethel and Junior's. I'm like, are we supposed to be? Is this the point where the audience is supposed to be like, yeah, you you finally got yours? It's like, well, these characters have no relevance to the plot. They're just <laughs> they're just awful people. And if you if you got rid of them, if you got rid of the handyman, if you got rid of of Vinny and his and his life partner. Yeah, I mean, sure, you 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 cut the movie down by about twenty five minutes, but you would re- you would have relieved this movie of awful, completely superfluous characters that exist strictly for the pleasure of the audience getting to watch them die. When you compare them to, say, Shelley and Ted, mm-hmm. those were those were set up as characters that you probably weren't necessarily meant to like. Certainly not Shelley, and Ted was sort of this pesky teenage boy archetype. But it, particularly with Ted, when we were recording with Amy Pascal, she pointed she made a really good point that his death was oddly poignant because he's holding his teddy bear and he's all yeah. alone and he <laughs> he just really just wanted desperately to be loved he just came about it in a really <clears throat> pushy annoying way so there, it gave his death kind of an odd he, he died alone holding his teddy bear <laughs> and you know junior got his head chopped off while he's throwing a temper tantrum on a dirt bike ethel falls in a pot of stew and hilariously squishes a tomato because she just got her <laughs> she she got chopped in the head with a with a, with a meat cleaver it's just her head looks like that tomato that's hilarious and of course she deserved it because she was you know big old white trash bitch and it's like eh, all right, well it could I be guess. poignant it still could be poignant in some way because it's not like junior had a like a really his life uh going forward didn't have a lot of didn't hold a lot of promise so maybe <laughs> maybe going out on his dirt bike was a poignant way to go i don't know but you're right i i like what you were saying about you like horror movies but it's troublesome when you see someone getting killed just <laughs> just because wouldn't it be funny if exactly it comes a little it, it a little snuff film to me like there's you mm-hmm. don't know anything about these characters you don't know their motivations you you don't know you barely mm-hmm. know their names they they exist so you can watch them die and and it's like no this is this is making my skin crawl a bit yeah i mean that that comes with the territory of the sort of 10 Little Indians sort of story that Friday the 13th plays out every single time. There's a well-worn rhythm to it. It's got a methodology. It's called cozy horror for a reason. We know exactly what's going to happen. The joy is where you, you find solace or laughs or surprises in, in, within the grooves and Did you find any of that in this film? No, no. God, no. I mean, no. there's there's lots of interesting bullshit. There's things that I don't think they intended to communicate that they do. And while that's interesting to talk about, it doesn't make for the world's best cinematic experience. Whereas, you know, Friday the 13th Part 4 is the sort of platonic ideal of what a Friday the 13th movie is. Mm-hmm. So it does those things really, really well. And while it makes plenty of mistakes, you forgive it more easily because it provides you with more thrills, spills, laughs. It's physical stunts. It's got great gore effects. It delivers all the elements at the best that they could deliver at that moment. Friday the 13th Part 3 is hampered by the technology of it being a 3D movie. 
That being said, when you watch it all in a row, it actually kind of moves and the characters are interesting. I might not love all their motivations. Shelly might be the most aggravating character of all time, but he is played with heart and pluck and he's memorable for a very specific reason because you go, I was a Shelly or I knew a Shelly at some point. There is no character in this fucking movie (laughs) that I have known, that I have been, that I would wish upon my worst enemy. These people are paper people. They don't really exist in the real world. They are simply going to a bowling alley. You don't personify the pins. You just knock (laughs) them over. These are the bowling pins of movie characters and it fucking sucks that up until now the movies have been able to actually show you wit or you're like oh i think that guy's dreamy or that girl shows a lot of pluck she's a lot smarter than anyone gave her credit for there are things to root for and root against when shelly goes it's this well you cried wolf one too many times and while i don't think it's successful at paying that off as as well as it could it actually attempts it and sets it up in a manner which it it could have here like shit just fucking happens man Mm. it's like a bus hitting a skunk crossing the road like nobody planned on that but at the end it sure fucking stinks (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean and and the idea of of comic the comic relief is is a woman calling her son a dildo and it's, it's, I, I sort of feel like this is written with 12-year-old boys in mind. I mean, I think you underestimate 12-year-old boys or <laughs> overestimate the um, director. I honestly, I remember thinking that that it it literally felt like you were saying it just was a, a, a big boulder rolling down the hill, just squashing things on its way. And there was no rhyme or reason. There was no direction. But that's how it felt while I was watching it. Also... I didn't have time, or or they didn't have time, to write anything that would actually make me feel anything about the bowling pins. Do you know what I mean? It was like, exactly. I, I had no emotion. I was like, oh, so now it's that person. I, I started to play a game of who will be next. Mm-hmm. Just like, who, who are they? Not even that game of like, how will they do it next? And, and you know, that'll be fun to see. But just like... Oh, they're just going to pick them off one by one and not actually bother to have a path that we're taking. It, what makes it more complicated is the fact that ostensibly it's supposed to be re- revenge. Roy is seeking vengeance for, for the death of his son. And yet he's just randomly killing people who have nothing to do with the halfway house. He, he would have no way of knowing that, that Demon was, was Reggie's brother. And, and why would he bother with him? He wasn't there when it happened. Exactly. And, and even in terms to, yeah, sure, Junior and Ethel were horrible people, but they had nothing to do with what happened to Joey. Neither, right. did, neither did Duke the awful ambulance driver. Neither <laughs> did the waitress at the local diner. In fact, neither did Vinny and, and 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 his partner. It takes him a very long time to get to killing the people. Actually, no, I'm I'm mistaken. He never actually kills the person who is responsible for Joey's death. 
Because <laughs> he went to jail. It's an empty pre- exercise. The entire thing is useless. And we are forced to witness this because the only reason Roy kills the people he kills in the order in which he does it is because the camera happens to be there to capture it. <laughs> there is no motivation whatsoever because if he is just so crazy that he'll kill anybody he comes across, why does it only happen at, at night the first time? And then he's like back to work the next day. Like, oh, that was crazy when I killed those two greasers. Anyways, I got to get to work. Hey, Duke, you got my coffee? And then he just kills random people. And Ethel and Junior are not the people you would normally aim your ire at because they happen to share the same wants and desires as Roy. Exactly. To, to shut this fucking place down. So what do you get by killing them off? Other than you get to check off the boxes that said, we killed Ethel and Junior today. All right. That's a wrap on today. See you back here at 6 a.m. tomorrow. I know. As an actor, again, I was like, oh, they had scheduling problems. So who who's going to be on set today? That's who we'll kill. So we've ranted and raved about these two. But here is something that I wanted to bring up. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't. When Ethel is uh, chopping up a chicken and Junior is eating his stew at the table. And they're met at the door by Raymond the sexy hobo. <laughs> We notice that Junior is eating his stew with a wooden cooking spoon. <laughs> He's not a giant. Like, he, he doesn't live on top of a f- floating cloud. Why is he eating with a wooden cooking spoon? These are the decisions of people who go... I hate these characters, and I want to make them look as bad as possible. I My thought at the time was, well, she doesn't have a knife to cut the vegetables with. She does have a cleaver, but she's not going to cross-pollinate, you know, from the chicken to the veggies, right? I just was like, clearly they're utensilly challenged, these people. <laughs> my, thought was, my thought was just, oh, we can't show him eating with his hands. That would go too far. <laughs> And we really, to, I mean, how, how can you, you really can't eat stew with your hands. <laughs> it's hard to pull off. I mean, when you're, when you're talking about subtlety, Junior is played so broadly that characters from the Cannonball Run movie are like, ooh, <laughs> I tone it down a notch. It's just needlessly sort of, overblown. I, I feel like they, they remind me of, um, remember from the Looney Tunes cartoons, the, the gangsters, uh, Rocky and, and Muggsy? Yes. That's what they remind me of. You've got the big dumb guy uh-huh. and the, the little angry person, and they just sort of remind me. I, I, I expected there to be a scene in which, in which Junior's elbow says something he thinks is funny and elbows Ethel, like just knocks her onto the ground. I know. <laughs> if they oh, were you're like, so funny, boom. <laughs> if they pulled off their skin, a la the judge and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it turned out they were just overgrown mice. <laughs> I would. It wouldn't have put me out. I'm like, I don't know. I kind of figured that would happen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> J- J- Junior's dialogue. I would be willing to bet, at least in the original script, started out with that. <laughs> <laughs> but again, they wanted this to be a subtle performance. They they really wanted to keep this tasteful and understated. So mm. they just had him driving his motorcycle around in circles and screaming like someone wrenched his arm out of his shoulder or out of his shoulder. <laughs> 
I felt that was true throughout. I felt like, again, I kept imagining the director sort of walking up and quietly saying, we just need you to go a little bit bigger with everybody. <laughs> just if you could just take it, you know, what what you did there was good. And then if you could just be louder and maybe flail your arms, that'd be awesome. It was, it was bad. I will appreciate that you were like, um, I'm sorry you have to watch this, but you'll, <laughs> you'll have a good time watch, talking about it because it was something. It was. You know, something. I did. I did a little exploring into the world of people who think this movie shouldn't have such a bad rep because mm -hmm. I, I I wanted to see what it's like to be wrong. <laughs> and and the, uh, you, the funny thing is, I, I read a couple articles, and absolutely no one denies that this movie is gross and unpleasant, or that the twist is really stupid and obvious, and yet doesn't really make any sense in the context of what happens in the movie, or even that it has a weird focus on on backwoods trash, that sort of exploitation kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the what is is these are spun as redeeming qualities for what makes us a a fun air quotes movie to watch and and oh man i don't think this is a fun movie it is it is the, the word i keep coming back to it is unpleasant it is profoundly <laughs> unpleasant in in I, every possible way i think you're right in, in a lot of ways about this the people who are the defenders of this that i've seen and they're allowed to their opinion people should like what they like we've said it before but when they describe the things they enjoy about it they love the the what the fuck quality of it. The camp is often used. It's campy. And I don't think those, like the Princess Bride, I don't think that word means what they think. <laughs> I don't it think means. that means right. what they think. I don't think, no, part six is definitely winking at the audience. Yes. I don't, I don't think this one is. I, I don't, I think this is what the director and the screenwriter thought was funny. But I don't think this was made with a you know you know, elbowing. Yeah, we know we know these movies are kind of silly and cheesy, right? Don't we? We're, we're all pals here. We know kind of we know what's really going on here. Nor is it made with a seriousness that just so happens to fail, because it doesn't <laughs> take any of the situations or characters or predicaments seriously. So why should I? And as a result, it's like it's just a clusterfuck. And that's fine. I love plenty of movies that are giant clusterfucks. I do but, too. But you I, I, I have keep, to I keep, own I keep it. saying I can't wait to get to Jason Goes to Hell because that is how you do a clusterfuck of a horror movie. <laughs> that movie is swinging for the fences. And I said this before and I'll say it again. I don't want to go all the way to the ballpark, pay for a babysitter, or haul a kid there and pay for all of their food too. Pay for parking. Get all the way up to my seats. Sit down. Suffer through the asshole who's in front of me who's who's consumed 15 beers. Just to watch someone, you know, try for a single. Scoop <laughs> or bunting. Everybody bunts. home runs. Yeah. <laughs> Swing for the fences. That's what I came here to see you do. Now, well, if that results in a single, that's different. But you know, I also want to see them know the rules of the game. Yes. Know that when they do get a hit, they have to run to first. Yeah, Cannot, I don't want you to break out a clown car. They can't run over the, you know, the pitcher's mound a second. I mean, <laughs> because this film too, I'm I'm one of those people like I love all kinds of bad movies, but I don't. I also, if I get start to get confused, 
then I get cut. I get caught on a detail. And at, at the end, I remember I was like, I, I'm assuming you're killing all these people because you're pissed at yourself for dumping your kid off and then never seeing him again or nobody knows who you are. Or, and I was like, you're at the scene with your son, but nobody knows you're nobody's having a reaction that that's your I've seen. Listen, I saw Sandra Bullock you know, have to run, go find her daughter in a dumpster. Trust me, there are some <laughs> real reactions that happen when you see your dead child. So I get caught on these details when, when, when somebody doesn't know the rules of the game. I get caught and I'm like, I don't know. That's maybe how I missed, you know, the handsome handyman getting killed. I get caught on these. Seriously, he walks up and says he wants food and you're like, go clean out the chicken coop and then I'll... F I'm... I'm like, you're in the middle of nowhere. How did he get to your So I get caught on these details <laughs> and I can't go forward. They have to be trying for something. And this film, it is the very typical thing that you always hear about, that Hollywood learns all the wrong lessons. And here <laughs> you have someone who has learned all the wrong lessons about Friday the 13th movies. It's like, well, there's a bunch of characters that all get killed and you hate them. That's why you enjoy watching them die. Yeah, no, I, I know what they were. I know what they were doing. They were trying to make money, and and <laughs> and and they they tried to boil down these movies to their essence, which is naked breasts, yep, and violent death, and they accomplished that. Although, even though really the the, the death scenes weren't even all that remarkable, and I thought I've... that too. I thought when, like, when a demon was in the bathroom and in the and the inexplicable outhouse, I was like, I'm assuming there's going to be some kind of booty death, right? <laughs> like, I, I'm assuming he's going to get a javelin through the backside. Why else put him in an outhouse? I was confused by because that. Like, because this perfectly fine character need to be humiliated in some way, and and, and yeah, we we talked about about the, that in our last episode. Just how the, again, these are flip side characters: Demon and Anita, and Ethel and Junior. And Demon and Anita are perfectly fine people. Yes, who 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 also Roy would have should not have any sort of issue with. They just <laughs> they just arrived in that town that day, and yet here he is. You know, just, just, well, they gotta go too. The way Demon's death is. Dry dragged out you would think he he was the one that killed joey because he gets the longest probably most mean-spirited death and that like that sort of dagger chest sort of scenario if you read that on paper you're like oh i can see how that might be that would be scary if you're you're trapped inside this thing you don't know what's outside of it and someone's jabbing something in and there's no place to hide well, that's a scary situation, but it doesn't portray a scary situation by what they shot on screen. All of these things are like massive fucking failures. Yes. It's a massive fucking failure. All right. I think I think we've buried these two. Undoubtedly, according to the Wiki, the Wikia for it, they were probably buried in the same coffin as they, they were. <laughs> yes, they were. They were. I checked. Oh, my God. They oh, are absolutely buried in the, I, the Crystal Lake area cemeteries must be very crowded because everybody is buried <laughs> in the same coffin, whether it's they have some, a space it, limitation issue where it's, you know, your, you know, your brother and sister are buried together or your, your guy that you just went out for a sex date with. They just throw you all in the same box. They don't care. Listen, they have a volume business there, and they got to get shit done. Funerals are for the living. 
Okay. <laughs> that's There's very all few of that's that left. All I'm gonna say. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's Ethel and uh, and. Apple. He dies getting his head cut off. She gets a cleaver to they're, the they're forehead. Not even, they're not even satisfying deaths. No. They're not fun. There's no great effects to talk about. Her death is practically off screen. It's it's telegraphed through the crushing and, of a and, tomato. And, and we get is, his shitty uh, head prosthetic. It's, it's like plopped like a watermelon on the ground. It like it fell off a platter when you were taking it out <laughs> at Fourth of July picnic. <laughs> Is it like, I got a bunch of things that are balancing on here. Oh, I dropped Junior's head. Uh, it's okay. Like, just wash off the stump and it'll be fine. Just kick it in. Just kick it into the swamp where Eddie bathed after. Or turn it over and put a bottle of vodka in it, right? And then, <laughs> and then we'll drink it later. Drink the, eat the brains. Oh, man. Yeah. This is pickled, but good. <laughs> That's so... what they do with watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> So this brings us once again to the nation's favorite game show, Choose Your Own Death Venture. And it's very simple. Who, if you had to choose one way to die, and your only choices are the deaths that we witnessed here today. That is your head being chopped off while you're riding a motorcycle. Or a meat cleaver being driven into your forehead, which is very hard to do. But the person who drives it through your forehead must also break through a window. For no fucking reason. And how he got that meat cleaver, we'll never find out. It just must have been there amongst the jars of eyeballs that they also keep in their kitchen. Because, of course, they do. And, of course, she doesn't have two meat cleavers. Because no. She's not... Who has two meat cleavers? Exactly. Where's the space for that? She doesn't she's... even. She has two utensils in her whole house. It's a meat she... cleaver and a spoon. She's got herbs. She's got a random <laughs> chicken with the feathers still on it. She's got a fisherman's net of some fucking kind also <laughs> hanging from the one room of their house we're allowed to see at the evil dead cabin that they live in. So I turn to you, Alex. Yes. You are our guest. It is your opportunity to go first. What death do you choose? Well, I mean, I would I would have to go with the... Um getting your head chopped off while riding the dirt bike just because that's riding a dirt bike is really fun and making a stew not so much especially when you're as little as she is and you have to reach up over the (laughs) over the pot to get the stuff in there but also you know you he doesn't really see it coming he's got tears in his eyes he's screeching around i mean that seems like um an easier thing you know it's or, or 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 at least you're getting to do something fun before you go you get to now, like spin out. High throttle. Now, part and parcel of this, <laughs> part and parcel of this is that you will also have to be beaten up by a mental patient in a. Again. <laughs> no, um... I see we're just revisiting old territory. This doesn't seem to be a hurdle for you. So that's fine. That's fine. I uh, do you... get that I would be bloodied, okay. but um, still, moments before my death, I'm I'm getting to like rant and rave. Mm-hmm. Which I also in real life like to do, there and you, um, you know ride, ride ride around on a on a dirt bike far too small for me, which I've also done as well. <laughs> All right, Gina, uh, what say you? Oh, fuck it, I don't even care. I hate this fucking movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's ineligible. You have to choose one. You no. don't have to give a big explanation. You have to choose one. Junior. Junior, that's fine. That's fine. It's perfectly valid. Um, 
I enjoy cooking prep work. <laughs> I en- I enjoy knife skills. I enjoy julianning things. I enjoy having everything in its place before I begin cooking. So that is the reason that I choose Ethel's method of dispatchment. Um, because you like squeezing I, tomatoes. I like squeezing tomatoes. I like crushing them in my hands and, and feeling that connection to the earth. <laughs> like the gladiator touching wheat as he goes to heaven. But, but do you have a jar of, of eggs and tentacles sitting That in is kitchen? none of your business, Radcliffe. <laughs> and if you ever bring that up again, this will be the end of this podcast. I think he means I don't have eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Did I ask you about the tentacle jar? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. You have to be invited over to the house to see the tentacle jar, okay? I don't talk about the tentacle jar on my podcast that everyone gets to listen to for free. Well, because then you'd be flooded with requests. That will be be Patreon content only. Thank you very much. (laughs) Exactly. That's right. You've got to keep things exclusive. Otherwise, it feels like you're giving away the whole house. The monthly newsletter in which Patrick talks about the progress of the tentacle jar. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to take off, Gina. It's going to take off big. I taught my son how to feed it today. You pass things on to future generations. That's what it's all about. Okay. So that the, brings the, us to... The cats in the, the cradle with a tentacle jar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the cats in the cradle. I think that's our hashtag. We haven't had a hashtag in a while. That's right. That's good. It's just, it's um, just, this has sucked us dry of so much joy. <laughs> we can't even come up with an appropriate hashtag. <laughs> It used to be fun, is what I'll say. Hashtag um, I hate this fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Alex, uh, where can where can people find out more about you as an individual? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex S. Alex, and I'm also on Facebook. Um, but you have to be my friend to see oh. me on Facebook. I learned that lesson during the election. But uh, you can check me out. Everybody can see me on uh, Twitter. And I don't have a website because I don't want to pay for that. Yeah, there you go. Who does? Websites are overrated. Not like (laughs) tentacle jars. You get something out of that. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on the internet? I I do have a website, but it is a WordPress website that I have not yet broken down and uh, purchased my own domain for, Mm -hmm. uh, in which I write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com. Oh, that's good stuff. Check it out. Hey, kids, if you want to talk to us, well, there's a couple ways to do it. You can reach out to us on Twitter at KillByKillPod. If you've got a longer note, let's say bigger than 140 characters, Send us uh, an email at killbykillpod at gmail.com. And, of course, we always ask you, if you love the show, and there's many of you who do, and there's many of you who merely tolerate it in your lives, (laughs) but... If you have the time, if you feel the impulse, boy, we sure love it. If you wrote us a nice review on iTunes, because that gets us seen and heard by more people. If in that review, you tell us what your favorite kill is in the Friday the 13th franchise, we will read it here on this show. That's my solemn promise to you, the listener. And that does it for the Kill by Kill pod for today. 
As for myself, Patrick Hamilton, and Gina Radcliffe, and Alex Alexander, goodbye, everybody. Bye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.